Before I talk about uh, Yom Kippur and Tshuva, I just want to mention, uh, you know, some of the things that are happening today, which are really in many ways uh, just extraordinary. The first thing is, uh, which is very important to see is that in 2011, that's when the incident in Tunisia happened, uh, and that began the Arab Spring. And what is interesting is that since then, we have been seeing the fall of the Arab countries, you know, to a tremendous amount of uh, revolutions taking place. Then the economies of many of these countries collapsed. And then there are wars that are destroying these countries. <clears throat> so we clearly see that the Rebbeinu is destroying Yishmoel without any weaponry, without any bullets being fired from Israel. It's almost like the Rebbeinu is saying to Israel, you know, stand aside, right, and I will take care of them. And he is, which is an incredible idea, you see. It's like Egypt where the Bonsham said, you know, stand and watch as Yeshua Hashem, the salvation of God. And what the Bonsham is saying that I will take them out. You don't even have to take them out. And that's we see what he did with Ishmael, the Arab countries. Right now, many of them are basket cases. You know, uh, many of them are failed states. When you take a look at it, you know, you're looking at Libya, which is a disaster. Egypt, which is going through tremendous problems, you see. Then you have, of course, Lebanon, which is really dying. You have Syria, which is basically dead. You know, you have Afghanistan, which is racked with wars. You know, then, of course, you have Iraq. All of these countries, in many ways, are just, uh, you know, just dying. Uh, so what that tells us is something very important is that the Malach of Yishmoel is on his way out. Because every nation has an angel. It has an angel that protects it and argues for it in the heavenly tribunal. So right now we see that the Malach of Yishmoel is losing his ability to defend the nations, the Arab nations. That's when you really see and uh, that Yishmoel is really what's called the clip of Yishmoel, <clears throat> that they should have the power to uh, uh, harm Jews and to create a terrible situation for them, has basically disappeared. And not only that, you see that the goals that the Jews had in Yishmoel is basically ended. Most Jews certainly have overwhelmingly left the Arab nations. That's a very important idea. You see, in any case, so far, you see this. Now, but something else is happening with Yishmoel. And that is that Yishmoel is being turned from being an enemy of the Jews to being an ally of the Jews. And this is what's happening, you see. So what we are witnessing is, is an incredible reversal. Not only is there a termination of the ability of the Arab countries to destroy Israel and therefore to make it so difficult for the Jews to do anything, you see. But there's something even more important. We see that it's a reversal of the status of the Arabs. 
where they are now going to begin to befriend Israel. That's what's happening, which is an amazing phenomenon. It's very hard to believe, you see, that this is happening. Because once the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain, now that they've signed on, there are many countries, for instance, in Africa, Asia, and so on, maybe South America, that said, we, we cannot sign on until you make peace with the Arabs. But now what are they going to say? Now that we see that the Arabs are making peace with Israel, you see, then what are they going to say? Then slowly there's going to be a lineup in order to befriend Israel and to become an ally of Israel. And that we see is happening. And the amazing thing is that Trump, who is the Tayyip Shabazzav, is the good part of Esav, he's doing it. Now, what's interesting is I had predicted this years ago. I once gave a Shia called the Four Messiahs, which is, which is online, by the way. You know, and I said that this is what's going to happen, you see, and that one of the, uh, one of the tasks of Trump is actually to make peace between Israel and the Arabs. And this is the beginning of the tshuva of Yishmoel. Well, just like Yishmon and the Torah did tshuva, because he allowed Yitzchak to go first at the burial of Avram Avinu. So the Chazal tell us that that shows us that Yishmon did tshuva. Well, this is exactly what's happening, and the one who's doing it is Trump. In fact, he said that. He said, look, one of the main reasons why I'm doing this is because of America, because they need America as an ally, right? As an ally against Iran. And in general, they need America. They need the goodwill of America. Uh, but what's also very interesting is they need also a new way, a new economy, because oil is slowly coming to an end as a major resource of energy. You know, you have electric cars, and uh, they predict that by 2030, half the cars in the United States will be electric, which means electric cars, electric trucks, electric trains, and so on. So the demand for oil will tremendously diminish. And they realize that. So it's not just Iran, a Shiite nation, that wants to take them over and they are Sunnis, you see. It's much more than that. Their economies are beginning to falter. Because not only that, because the demand for oil is at a tremendous low and the price of oil is very low, you see. And many of them can barely contain or to support their economies with the price of oil and the demand. Now, Iran itself is collapsing because I think they used to uh, uh, get $120 billion for their oil. And now all they get, I heard, is about $10 billion, which is incredible. That means they are collapsing. So we see not only that the Malach of Yishmoel, the angel of Yishmoel, is falling, but what is fascinating is that they themselves are reversing their position, which people never thought that they would do, that the Arabs would never allow or become an ally to Israel unless Israel gave back everything. And now, basically, Israel has given back nothing, although they have suspended their, uh, the whole concept of the annexation, you see. But... In return for that, they have suspended it apparently, but not given it up. But in return for that, you know, 
they are going to now make peace with the entire Middle East. And what the Arabs are hoping is that not only will they benefit from America, but they will also benefit from Israel, because Israel is one of the superpowers of the entire world, which is amazing. That's what they become. So this is what we see, which is a very, very good sign, and it is certainly a sign of the Geula, the Geula, the redemption itself. Because Yishmael does tshuva only at the end of time, and therefore it's a very good sign. So I wanted to mention that because it's very important. As like I say, it's a sign that we are very close to the Mashiach. The second thing which I find fascinating is the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's an incredible liberal, but more than that, she is, she is responsible for the hashkotza, for the corruption of America. Because she voted together with Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court to allow same-gender marriages, you see, and also that you cannot discriminate against somebody even if they decide to orient themselves uh, in, in a homosexual way. She's a terrible liberal, and because of her, a great deal of America has become incredibly immoral and corrupt. She's a classic era of Rav, even though she's in America. Uh, and she's one of the spearheads of the Rosh of Esau, the evil part of Esau, you see. So her death right before Rosh Hashanah signals that somebody who is one of the uh, uh, spearheads of the evil of Esau has died. And that means that uh, there seems to be now the the failure of the evil of Esau to pick themselves up and to achieve a victory over the good part of Esau, you see. And she's symbolic of that. I also find that interesting, is that this year Toshin Pe Aleph, and God did not even allow her to enter Toshin Pe Aleph, because it, hopefully this is the year that we are going to see incredible turnarounds. And therefore, she cannot be alive to see it, you see. So we have two ideas. One is that it signals the beginning of the end of the evil of Esau, you see. And also, it begins to signal that if that's the end, then what's going to happen is that the good part of Esau, you see, is going to achieve a tremendous dominance. So both of these ideas the coming in of the UAE and Bahrain as an ally of Israel, and also the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is gone, are very, very tremendous uh, symbolic ideas that this year will be proved to be a tremendous year. And also it's going to help Trump in his presidency, the election, because people want him you know, to, to, to uh, put in a conservative, and of course that's what he's going to do. He's going to change the court for decades because he's going to put somebody who's very strongly conservative and that's going to stack the court. Six conservatives against three liberals, you see. And that will make it incredibly difficult for the evil part of Esau to win or to achieve some type of victory over the good part of Esau. You are looking at an incredible plan of God. 
how he's orchestrating, directing everything in order to bring this to an end. So uh, these these, uh, historical events, which is coming one after the other, are very good signs that this year, Tavshin Pei Aleph, will be a year of tremendous miracles and tremendous and, and the beginning of a, a real messianic age. Anyway, I thought that would be very important to say. Any questions about this? I, so I did, uh, all the articles that were written, the earliest times that they were written was around, was around 740. So she, for sure, she passed away before that because yeah. then they let it out to the news outlets. So she did die before Rosh Hashanah started. Yeah, which is interesting because that means that God did not want her to enter a year that it's very possible the redemption will begin. So she had to die in the previous year and not the new year. It's almost like a new era has begun, you see. Oh, so that's a very good sign that this may be the beginning of the end of As- the evil of Esau and ho- hopefully also uh, Trump will win and the Democratic Party, which is really the evil of Esau, the Democratic Party, the liberals, the radical liberals, the establishment, all of them are part of the evil of Esau, and hopefully all of them will be decimated in the coming elections, which I think is in only 44 days, you know? And hopefully uh, at the end of uh, September, September 29th, you're going to have uh, the debates, and hopefully Biden will be slaughtered by Trump. You see, and people are going to realize that to vote for Biden... What? How do you know that she's Edivrav and she's not an Apichorus or she's not against the show? An Erevrav is somebody who is not just against the Torah, you know, but who will influence millions of people to go against God and the Torah. And she, as a Supreme Court Justice, you see, she supported any kind of law that was hashchosa, uh, hashchata, was incredibly immoral and corrupt. You see? So she's certainly part of that. But she's certainly part of the evil part of Esau, because she's part of the government of Esau, you see. You know. so you, we but I believe that she's also, what was that? We're allowed to talk bad about her? She's a Russia. Yeah, I told that to somebody, and she flipped. Do you have out. any idea? Do you have any idea how many people have Misa because of her? Do you know that? Uh, how many people are, have to die? If a person commits a homosexual act, right, and he does it because that's now the ruling of the Supreme Court, that means that they are guilty. She, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is guilty of murder. That's what it means. Now, that, that's an unbelievable Russia. What she did, did is she permitted, the, as the law of the land, for this to happen. Right? So she's permitting something that God destroyed the world in the marble thousands of years ago. Why? Because they were all chayav misa, chayav mita. They were all uh, subject to the death penalty. 
So huh? do you not think that she would be an incredible Rasha, Rasha'at? Right? Right. Yeah, listen. So, so on Rosh Hashanah, I have a question. Did you yeah. feel anything different about the air? Because I did. I don't know yeah. if it was just me. Well, what did you feel? I felt the 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 energy was very uh, very clear, very crisp, very um uh I don't know how to explain that. Like, like holy, she felt like a holier. Like no, even cool. even when you looked outside at nature, the 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 sky, the the trees, everything was so clear. It was it was like um. As if you're looking HD, or is like it was like it was very very vibrant, very vibrant, and the air itself was very uh, light, and 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 it, it, the overall it was the, a new feeling I felt, but I don't know if it was just me. So did you feel anything? It was like a pound. Yes. The energy. Yes. Was yeah. Yes. Well, look, you know, uh, then uh, you are feeling something that um, um, is taking place. There's a different vibration going on. The verdict is going to be in our favor. That's right, you know. But you should know, once this happens, it's not going to drag on. Once the verdict is, is that the gula must begin... It's not going to drag on until the, the the year is almost over. You see, what what's going to happen is event after event are going to happen, one after the other. That's going to shake up the entire world. You see, look in inside of three weeks, you had the UAE joining with Israel and Bahrain, and Ginsburg dying. These are shake up events. You see. These are major things happening, and this will continue. And I, I believe that's why Israel is in a lockdown, because God is intensifying the Asurin, the suffering uh, of the Jews, in order to speed up the process. That's what you're looking at. For the Jews to be locked in and not be able to go to shul, which is exactly what happened in Israel. Almost all of them had to go outside which shows the Mesirat Nefesh of Jews to want to pray on Rosh Hashanah. So that merit uh, and the suffering that they had because they would deny the ability to do that, that's a tremendous chut and a kapara for the Jewish people. And I believe that's why it happened. That's what God wanted. You know, it's sort of like to finally balance the complete books where everything is now even, and the gula can begin. So therefore, you're going to see tremendous events happening this year. That's what's going to happen. You see. Okay? Okay, you can start on your floor now. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I thought that was important because uh, it certainly tells... What was that? He loved it. Yeah, unbelievable. Who loved it? All of us. Oh, you mean you love what I just said? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm. I, I don't. 
I don't think many people realize the significance of what this means. Because they don't think in these, they don't think from this perspective. They don't have this framework that yeah. you people have, you see. But it's a tremendous sign, you know, uh, of what Tufshin Pei Aleph has to be. You know what they said? They said yeah. um, the gematria of Teshuvah is the same as Tafshin Pei Aleph. And Teshuvah is to return. Yes. So, Bezat Hashem, we return to Hashem. Yes. Are you sure the gematria is that? Yeah? That's what they said. Okay. Figure it out. Uh, well, uh, you know, you can do it after the year, you know, if you want. Great. Okay. Yom Kippur. Now, we know so far that, you know, which I mentioned last week, very important idea, that, of course, God is going to judge the world just like somebody judges an, a business annually, you know, to see if he's making a profit or not, you know. Same idea with the judgment that Rosh Hashanah, it's not only each person is judged so much in terms of their sins or mitzvot. What's more important is where is the tikkun going? What's the tikkun status? That's what Rosh Hashanah is. Now, God doesn't just want to judge the world and, and nobody's going to know about it, and therefore nobody's going to have a chance to do tshuva. So I mentioned last week that he tells everybody and that is a tremendous chesed, you see, that he tells the Jewish people that Aleph Tishrei is going to be a day of judgment, you see, and obviously you have to think about that and do tshuva. Very important idea, you see. So what do we see? We see that God wants to help the Jews to do tshuva. He doesn't want to sneak it on them. On the contrary, he wants, he's trying to help the Jews, assist the Jews in doing tshuva. And he does that by telling them that on Aleph of Tishrei, there's going to be a day of judgment or a day of uh, uh, analysis or uh, assessment of the entire Bria. So that's one way that God is assisting the Jews. That he told us, you see. Now, the second chesed that God did is called the Aseret Yemei Tshuva the 10 days of repentance. Why? Because for people who, you know, barely passed or didn't pass or whatever, the Bosham is saying, I'm going to extend the, the time of doing tshuva, right, even beyond Rosh Hashanah. But that's a tremendous chesed because he's giving the Jewish people further t- more time to repent. So even though the judgment itself has passed, but it hasn't been signed, it's certainly not sealed at all. So therefore, it is subject to being changed. So therefore, God is very active now waiting for tshuva, more than any time during the year. Like it says, you know, Dear Shoshem Behimotzoi, seek God when he can be found. And that is the 10 days of repentance. You see, the, the 10 days of tshuva. And of course, these 10 days represent the svirot, the 10 svirot, you see. So on the different days when you do tshuva, 
in many ways, you are unblocking different sfirot that you personally are in charge of, you see. Um, so therefore, there's a tremendous chesed that God has done by allowing us 10 additional days to do tshuva. But is that the ultimate chesed? No. What the Barashim has done next is something which is uh, really beyond belief. And that, in many ways, is the ultimate chesed. Remember, when I told you that the problem is, is that when the Barashim announces that he's going to judge the world, then automatically that invokes a jury, or I should say a trial. And whenever there's a trial, you always have the Satan. The Satan is always the prosecuting attorney, and he is always there to prosecute, right, if anybody is judged. So the problem is, is that if the Rabbani Shama has alerted everybody, that he is going to judge everybody, then that means court. The courts are in session. And if the courts are in session, where God now is the judge, the supreme judge, right, then that means the Satan is now there as a prosecutor against each and every Jew. And he's trying to destroy the tshuva, you see, of every Jew by saying, well, this person didn't really mean it, Ah, he's not going to hold it, you know, and he's, he's, he, he himself knows he doesn't mean it, and so on. You see, or oh, that person is only half-hearted. So what destroys, what, what makes things so dangerous for the Jewish people is not necessarily the judgment, because with the judgment would come tremendous amount of rachmanut, mercy, and compassion. But what is so dangerous for the Jew is the Satan. Is that the Satan rules, you see, or he is present, prosecuting. This is why it is so bad for the Jewish people. So what does God do? He does an amazing thing. You know what that is? He says to the Satan, okay, you have three jobs. One is the Yetzirah, one. The second job that you have right, is a prosecuting attorney, that's called the Satan, and the third job you have is the Malachamoras, the angel of death, where you execute the judgment itself. So God says to the Satan, I am now going to relieve you of one of your jobs. You could still be a Yetzirah, and you're still the Malachamoras, but you cannot make on the Jewish people today which means that there is no kitrug on a Jew on Yom Kippur, which is amazing. God suspends the job of the Satan for that one day. And therefore, what's amazing is this, is that if a person even has a hirhur, you know, just a, a, a tshuva, normally the Satan would say, what kind of a tshuva is that? just to think about it, not really mean it, but even a thought, even a regret, if a person says, you know, I don't know if I can change, it's very hard to, but I want to say one thing, the person will say, I regret doing Averot, I regret Charata, I regret doing sins against God, 
I regret transgressing his Torah. Even if he doesn't change. But that itself is a tshuva, which is amazing. Because it's interesting. You know, we know that there are three things of tshuva, that you have to do three things. One is vidui, where you have to admit, you have to acknowledge that you sinned. That's vidui. So we say that, our hate, right? That's the vidui. It's called the confession. The second thing <clears throat> is you have to have charata, is that I acknowledge I sinned, but I regret that I sinned. I'm really sorry that I sinned. And the third aspect of tshuva is called kabola al he'atid, to say to yourself, well, I am certainly going to try never to do it again. And that's a true tshuva, you see. Therefore, out of all of these three, which one is the main part of tshuva? Is it to acknowledge the sin? Is it to regret that you sin? Or is it to accept upon oneself not to sin again? Well, I will tell you. The Chafetz Chaim says that the main part of tshuva, the essential ingredient, as they say, or in a drug they call it the active ingredient, of those three is the middle, charata. A person can acknowledge that he sinned. Okay, very important. But he has no charata. He has no remorse, no regret. You see? Or a person can say, I won't do it again, but he has no regret on what he did. Therefore, the Chafetz Chaim says that the most important ingredient of tshuva is the charata, charata is the regret and the remorse that you have for doing the Avera. You see, <clears throat> that's very important. So therefore, <clears throat> because there is no Satan on Yom Kippur in the form or the job of prosecuting attorney, angel, therefore any tshuva that a person does is accepted. You see, it's a very important idea that is an act of unbelievable chesed, where God has dismissed the Satan himself on the day of Yom Kippur. And therefore, any tshuva, anything, even the thought that, you know, maybe, it's, maybe I really should change, you know, and become more spiritual. That is a very important idea, you see. In fact, the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the word hasatan, is 364. In other words, the Satan is only the Satan. That means he only acts as the Satan 364 days of the year, which means that one day is missing because the Gematria is 364, not 365. Which day is the day that the Hasatan, the job that he has as a prosecuting attorney, which day is it that's missing? Yom Kippur. That is why Yom Kippur is such an incredible day to do tshuva. Because it is the only day of the entire year uh, that no matter what you think is very, very important. And that will count as a tshuva at whatever level you do it. But there's no kitrug. There's no prosecution against what you did. Therefore, everybody has to do tshuva at some level. A person has to be a fool not to do tshuva at some level, you see. 
Therefore, every person has to say to himself, you know, I wish I had not sinned. I wish it had been different, you know, and I'm certainly going to try not to do it, you know, but I wish I hadn't sinned. That is a tremendous tshuva that the Satan cannot destroy, you see, because he is not the prosecuting angel at that day. Now, very important idea. Now, let me tell you something else, which is also very important, okay? The Sutton has weapons that he uses. It's very important to understand this. He has certain strategies that he uses to get people to sin. I will tell you uh, what I think is the greatest strategy of all and how we actually see it in today's time. You know what that is? And we see that from the Gemara. <clears throat> the greatest strategy that the Satan has is to keep you ignorant. That's yeah, right. He must keep you in the dark. Ignorance. Where you are not aware that you have a purpose. <clears throat> you are not aware that you have a mission. You see, you are not aware that you have a journey to do. <clears throat> and obviously, if you're not aware of these things, right, then you're going to sin. That's what he wants, to keep you ignorant of your mission and your divine task. Make sure that you don't know. And the way he does that, by the way, is to make sure that people will not learn Torah. Why? Because Torah is the exact opposite of ignorance. <clears throat> when a person learns Torah, he becomes tremendously aware what his mission is, you see, what his purpose in life is, because that's what the Torah is all about. It's all about God. It's about God giving, making a covenant, an agreement with Avraham Avinu and Yitzchok Yaakov, and then the Jews taking God, taking the Jews out of Egypt, and so on, and bringing them to Har Sinai. And Har Sinai is what? Is the acceptance of an agreement between us and God, that we will observe his Torah, his Torah, and he will give us Eilim Habo, you see? Now, if a person is not aware of any of this, then why would he do mitzvot? <clears throat> why would he become spiritual? You see? Therefore, the major weapon of the Satan is not merely drives. A person has a taiva, for instance. Yeah, that's a weapon. Uh, you see? But if a person wants to, ultimately, he can control his taiva his drives, you see. Uh, but the main idea is that a person shouldn't even know that he has a mission because then he will work on nothing. So what I'm telling you is a very important idea that the major strategy that the Satan has to make sure that nobody will do tshuva is to keep them in the dark try to make sure that they never learn Torah, they don't go to any shurim, right? Uh, they don't learn anything, you see, or they don't uh, stay next to B'nai Torah, uh, you know, and Magide uh, Shurim, and so on, because he wants to keep you in the dark. Very important idea. That is his major strategy in winning the war. Now, the next question is, okay, <clears throat> well, how does he do it? How does he keep everybody in the dark? 
because keeping in the dark is the main idea. In fact, the Chazal tell us in Masechet Kiddushin that if, the, if all of a sudden you find yourself encountered by the Satan in whatever way, drives and so on, right? Uh, then it says, Drag him to the Beit HaMidrash because it says, God says, Barati, I created Satan, the Yetzirah, and I created an antidote to the Yetzirah, and that is Torah. And now we see what it means. Uh, because the Yetzirah is always working on your ignorance. That's how he gets you to do things, because you're not aware either of the thing you do is wrong or of the severity of what you're doing is very bad, because you're ignorant. So how do you cure that by Torah? Why? Because it's not just that the merit of Torah is an incredible merit, you know, that will fight for you in the day of judgment. No, it's more than that. It's that if you learn Torah, you will be exactly knowledgeable about what the mission is. You see? And as they say in English, knowledge is power. That's why it's critical for a Jew to always be learning Torah, to never forget what his mission is. But the question that we have to ask is this. Wait a minute. How did he keep everybody ignorant? And I will tell you what he does. Uh, this is a very important idea. And you know, you really see it to, in today's time. You know what that is? Three words. Keep them busy. That's it. What the Satan does is he wants to make sure that you never think. You never ask yourself, well, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? What have I accomplished? Can I do a better job? Because we're so busy, you know, just living, uh, you know, between the job for a man then he comes out, then he comes home. Maybe, uh, you know, he uh, sp spends time with his kids or he spends time with his friends or many people have entertainment going on or whatever. Then the wife, uh, she's busy shopping and cooking and taking care of the kids, taking care of the house. And what he does is he wants to make sure uh, that you are always busy. And if you're always busy, guess what? You're not going to think about your life. You're not going to say to yourself, maybe I should become more spiritual. You're not going to do that, you see, because you're too busy with everything else. <clears throat> now, when you think about it, well, how does he get people to be busy? Well, I'll tell you something. He has come up with an unbelievable device. And it's only late in the last 20, 30 years. What is that device called? That device is called the smartphone. Do you ever notice... As soon as somebody has a free moment, what do people do? They're looking at their smartphones. Either they're playing games or they're on the internet, right? Or they're talking with people or social media and so on. It's incredible. Everybody looks at their devices. You know, what about thinking about your life and where it's going? They don't do that anymore. It's unbelievable. It used to be a time, you know, let's say where a person you know, would have uh, some time, let's say he was driving, and he would, let's say, uh, think about, you know, what am I doing? Now, everybody's on the smartphone, you know, or, or whatever. So therefore, what the Satan does is incredible. He has in, 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 
innovated ideas and devices, the smartphone, the internet, you see, so on the internet you have all kinds of tweet, people tweet all day long, Facebook, social media, people spend their whole life on these social medias, you see, or people are busy watching, whether it be movies or television or listening to music, everybody's doing something, you see, besides the things that you have to do, which is, let's say, you know, you work, take care of the house and the kids and so on. And then everybody needs relaxation, and they're off on smartphones or Internet. Then you begin to understand, well, if that's the case, then why would anybody ever think about their life? And cheshbon ha-nefesh, which is really what I'm saying, never happens. People do not examine their life at all to see does it have any meaning, does it have any purpose. You know, I remember I once went, there was a restaurant, and I went into the bathroom, you know, and all of a sudden I hear somebody talking. So I realized there's a guy in the stall doing what he has to do, obviously, right? And he's on on the smartphone. So I said to myself, could you believe, even when a guy goes to the bathroom, right, he, he, he can't stop, you know, engaging with all kinds of things on the smartphone, it's unbelievable how people have become totally preoccupied with a smartphone and with the Internet and all the social media. You see, uh, most Americans spend hours and hours a day on the Internet with their smartphones. Now, it used to be, you know, where you, in order to access the Internet, you would need a computer. And it's very hard to schlep a computer around with you. So, you know, you couldn't schlep the computer. So at least then you would have time to make some type of cheshbon on nefesh. But nowadays, in a smartphone, everybody has the world at its fingertips, literally, in a smartphone. So what has happened is terrible. People no longer think about their lives. They are always busy perusing the Internet for all the different things that the Internet does. So what happens is that the Internet is responsible for a tremendous amount of wasting time. I'm not even going into the, the, you know, the terrible uh, material that's on the Internet. Uh, but even if a person you know, just went shopping all the time and, 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 and you know, Facebook or whatever, the amount of time wasted in, by the average person's life on the Internet is staggering. Absolutely staggering. Uh, you know, and you now understand all of this is exactly the main strategy of the Satan. That's it. One, you need to keep everybody in the dark. Everybody. Because as long as they don't know what the true purpose in life is, they won't do tshuva. They won't think about their lives. And they will just continue doing what they always do. But the best way to do that, to keep them in the dark, is to what? is to make sure that they never have time to think, to make a cheshbon ha-nefesh, to think about, you know, where in the world are they in terms of life. So I have to keep them busy. And that's why what is happening in the last 40 years is stunning to watch how smartphones, the Internet, 
you know, and that's besides all the other, you know, time-consuming activities that people do. That's why most people don't even think about tshuva. They don't think about themselves, you see, or they don't think about the fact that they're not even involved in a spiritual life. I want to tell you something. The most important thing to do tshuva, okay, is called the NG ratio. N means neshama, and G means goof. What is the ratio of your activities in terms of what you do for your neshama, which is the spirituality, and what do you do for your goof, which is money, uh, you know, uh, uh, eating, restaurants, you know, all the other stuff that you, where you cater to your physical body. Uh, what is the ratio? For most people, the ratio of the goof is 95%. Maybe you're lucky if there's 5% neshama. Uh, but the most important tshuva that I would recommend is you need to change the NG ratio, the neshama goof ratio, where a great deal of your life is spent in spiritual pursuits, not physical fulfillments. If you can present that to God on Yom Kippur, you see, even if you're not really doing a tshuva, or you're not sure about specific averot, sins that you've done, but if you really tell God, you know, I'll tell you something, I really want to spend more of my life, more of my time invested in spiritual pursuits. You see, <clears throat> and after Yom Kippur, I'm going to sit down and think about what things can I do that will be more in the light of spirituality, ruchniyot, neshama, than the physical pursuits. That is the greatest tshuva you can do, you see. Because what God wants you is not just to regret and to change your behavior, uh, your sinful behavior. No, what's more important to Him is that you change your focus. You change your direction, you see. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. Why is it you find that people, you know, they do tshuva or they say they're going to do tshuva and the next day they're back to the old self? Ever notice that? Why is it that resolutions that we do of tshuva, how come they don't last? It's a very interesting question. And the idea is this, because, and it fits in line with what I'm saying. In psychology, there's a certain thing called cognitive dissonance. It means if you believe something, you will not do something which is reverse or the exact opposite of what you believe. Dissonant means it's opposed or different. Cognitive means the mind or what you think. Uh, people do not, do not engage in things where they have a belief that this thing is wrong generally. Therefore, if a person says, you know, I'm going to do this mitzvah, the truth is that he may not do the mitzvah, even though he says he would like to. Why? Because even he may have expressed a change, a desire to change an individual behavior. But the critical thing is to change the belief, 
the goal. Most people do not change their goals. If they don't change their goals, why would they change their behavior? You see, because as long as a person's goal is to engage in the physical world in all its glory, right, then he will not engage in spirituality. Yeah, he may say certain changes individually, but that's not the key. In order to really affect the change, you really need to change the goal. Very important idea. Or else the resolution will cancel out. Therefore, the concept that I mentioned of an NG ratio, a neshama guf, you see, that is a changing goal, not in any individual sin. And therefore, a person can say, you know, let me see, what can I do that will increase the range of activities that I do for God, that I do for my purpose on this world? If a person does that, then it's far more likely that he will have the ability to keep what he resolves to do. Because he will have changed his goal, not some individual idea, you see. Now, what I would recommend, besides thinking about the Nishoma Guf relationship or ratio, is to take a Kabbalah, to accept something. Even one thing would be great. What can I do to accept a Kabbalah to change? You know, so somebody could say, well, I learn, but maybe I'll add another hour a week or two hours a week, you see? Or maybe I'll try to do an act of chesed every day. Some type of Kabbalah. Or maybe I'm going to be much more careful by learning two halachot of Lashonara, Shminat HaLashon, not to speak Lashonara, I'm going to learn from now on two halachas a day of Shmir Saloshim. And we know that there's a whole cycle, which began, by the way, two days ago. And Rosh Hashanah begins a cycle where they learn two halachas a day from the Sefer Chofetz Chaim. So you can easily catch up. Yeah, but that's a tremendous Kabbalah, you see. So these are the things that I would recommend. One, think about spirituality. Don't get tied down in, you know, in, in, in uh, things that waste your time, the internet, smartphones, and so on. Remember, that's his strategy. Think about what are you doing with your life? You know, where are you going? Because remember, in the end, life passes very quickly. I'm sure all of you probably will say to yourself, wow, where did the years go? goes by very quickly. Before you know it, you're near the end of your life. And then you're going to say to yourself, what have I done? What have I accomplished, really? How much of my life, my energies, my time, and my money have I given over to God as opposed to self? You see? And you want to do that while there's still time. So don't get bogged down by really wasteful uh, devices that really, you know, waste a lot of time. Think about your cheshben nefesh Think about increasing activities that will increase spirituality, ruchniyot. And on Yom Kippur, say to God that I've thought about it, and I really want to makabel 
you know, I want to accept on myself some resolution where I want to increase the activities that I do for your sake and not for mine. And I wish to do the following things. If you approach God with that type of message, then there's no question that you will have a tremendously blessed year. And not only that, but you will be able to receive the Mashiach at a whole different level of status and stature than you could ever have dreamed possible. That's what I would say. Any questions? No questions? Wait, wait, can you speak louder? Rabbi, Rabbi Manson was saying that the Goyim, they do New Year's resolution, they want to play golf, they want to be better at the sports. So the Jewish people, we are not like them. We're, our resolution to be studying more Torah. If you do one hour, do two hours. If you do ten hours, do twenty hours. You should double everything that you do. And it's similar to what you're saying, that we have to do that also to increase. What I'm saying is actually over, it's what's called overarching. What I'm saying is that it's not just you, you learn Torah one hour, you want to do two hours. What you want to do is say, I want to spend more time in spirituality, which of course includes Torah. But it includes Torah, it includes Chesed, it includes, like I said, Nola Shanara, right? It includes doing mitzvot, tefillah. It's, it, it's more than just Torah. It's an examination of what most of the time in your life, where is it directed at, you see? And that will certainly include anything else. Do you understand what I'm saying? Remember the NG ratio, the Neshama Guf ratio. What is it? Is it 3% Ruchnias, Neshama, and 97% Guf? That's what you think about. Once you think about that and you've decided, then automatically you're going to say, okay, where can I increase my Neshama, the activities that are spiritual, and take God into account? Yeah, then you begin to think about more Torah, more Chesed, you know, uh, more Tefillah, and so on. You see? So what I'm trying to give you is, the, is a greater, not a narrow approach, but a, you know, what's called a scope of really what to think about, you know, as you approach Yom Kippur. You see? So okay. basically what? our mindset of Yom Kippur is um, coming into it uh, telling Hashem that we want to be better for Him, to, to, to make our connection stronger with Him. It's all about our relationship with Him. It's not for us. It's just to be close to Him. Yes, if, <clears throat> that's right. Uh, what, see, what you're saying is, I want to just uh, strengthen what you're saying. If you'll notice the word, what is the word for repentance in Hebrew? Tshuva. Is it really Tshuva? No. The word tshuva really means return. Correct. It doesn't mean to repent. It means to return. Why? 
I'll tell you why. Because what is the tragedy when a person does a sin? What exactly is the problem? Well, here's the problem. The first problem is that he has rebelled against God. The second problem is that he has strengthened the Yetzirah in his body. Because when you perform an action, physical, you strengthen the physical attachment to that deed. The third thing is really terrible. And that is because you have rebelled against God by doing the sin, He has now distanced Himself from you. That's the tragedy. The rechuk, the distance. And therefore, your objective is not merely to have a kapara, to, you know, to repent, so to speak, right? Your objective is to return to God because that's the problem. That's why the word tshuva doesn't mean repent. It means to return. You see? So I'm strengthening what you said. The critical idea is, do you want a relationship with God or not? You see? Now, if a person sins many, many times, then what happens is his relationship with you, right, has soured or has become diminished. That's the tragedy. Uh, it's not only the sin you've done, but it's the relationship that you've destroyed or perhaps diminished. So the objective is not only to undo the chet, but to restore your relationship. You know, it's like a high official. Imagine in a king, uh, and he does something against the king. So what the king does is he throws him out. He fires him. You see? So when that person wants to do tshuva, his objective is not only to say, I'm sorry for what I did. His objective is to return to the good graces of the king. You see? Uh, he wants to return to the relationship that he had with the king before, which is a great relationship. That's why the word repentance doesn't mean repentance. It means return. Because the essential objective of your doing vidui uh, and tshuva and so on is to return to God, is to reestablish and strengthen the relationship that you have with God now and in Oilam Habbo. You see what I'm saying? I have a question, Rabbi. Yes. Um, okay. okay. You were saying, I said that you made Shabbat, it correlates to the um, 10 Sefirah. And each day we tap into each Sefirah. Yes. Okay. How do we tap into them? And how do we align ourselves with it so that we're in perfect alignment when Yom Kippur comes? Well, it's extensive, but there are people that have written a book. There's a guy, uh, what's his name, Rabbi Haber, I think. That he has written a book, I think, based on this. Probably can pick it up in a in a bookstore, you know. Um, Which Hebrew, Michael? Michael? No, uh, he has he lives in Beit Shemesh. I'm trying to remember his first name. H a b e r is his last name. But he wrote a book about how to do, what to do tshuva on Yom Kippur, and he and he mentions this, you know, and so on, you know. 
Um, so I, I would, I would, uh, you know, advise if you can get a hold of the book, you know. But that's why there are ten days of repentance, because you have to undo the damage of the ten sfirot. Is there anything you could tell us to do because if we don't have the book? Well, Yom Kippur, in a certain sense, is Keneged Keter. Because it's the greatest day, and Keter is the greatest Sfira, right? Keter means what? Crown. Keter means crown, which means God is the absolute ruler, king of the world. But it's deeper than that. Because what Keter also means is that God is the source of everything. Everything that happens in this world is done by God. But we think we do it. One of the greatest things you could do for yourself is to recognize that God is everything. Period. That everything that happens to you, the money, the house, the kids, the, the successes, even the thoughts, ultimately is God-directed except in the area where you have free will. Uh, so what that does, it produces in you a tremendous sense of humility. You get the ego out of the way. So I would say that's a very important idea. People walk around with this tremendous distorted view of who they are. You know, people say, yeah, I did it. I had a brilliant idea. I had an incredible business idea. Or, I had, you know, I, I invested in the stock market and I made a ton of money. It's all about them. But the truth is, it has nothing to do with them. God wanted a person to be in that situation and with that framework, they would be tested. God put the idea in the mind of a person what business to go into and then to bring the success of that business Thoughts are from God. You ever wonder where they come from? All of a sudden you're walking and all of a sudden a thought hits you. You ever wonder where in the world did I get that thought from? No. People don't think. But the truth is it's all God directed. Therefore what I would suggest, Yom Kippur, which is Keneged Keter, which is the absolute oneness of God, is humility. Think about that. Don't take so much credit for yourself because 99.9999% is God. We only have that 0.0001 in terms of what we need for free will. But the rest is all orchestrated by God. So, anivot, onof, humility, to be humble, is a critical feature in the Avodah. So I'm giving you, you know, one Sfirah, Yom Kippur, and what you could do for Yom Kippur to recognize that God is the ultimate supreme master of everything. You see? What else? Rabbi, I was in shul on Saturday, and somebody um, on Russian night, he was talking about corona, and he was saying that he really believes that Mashiach is coming, and this corona was all, uh, like if, let's say now Mashiach comes tomorrow and you have to do something, you're not used to doing it, so it's a problem, so Hashem's now letting 
corona come so we could separate from the spouses? You said that if, let's say, a woman was nida, in the biblical times they had to leave, the husband couldn't sit on the chair, and it was a problem. He goes, now God's causing a separation, so if he comes tomorrow, we're all ready to do what he has to do. Do you think that's true? I, I certainly would say there's a truth in that. I wouldn't say that's the reason for the corona, but I would certainly say that, yes, because if you can't go out and people are locked in for months and months, there's no question that it separates you, you know, from the world. And we know on Yom Kippur, for instance, you can't do five things. And what happens is you become disconnected from the physical world, and therefore, once you become disconnected from the physical world, you, you can begin to feel more spiritual. That's why we fast. So we're not connected to food and pleasure and so on, you see? In order for us to be more within our spiritual selves. So therefore, anything that will diminish your attachment to the physical world will enhance your spirituality. I mean, I hate to use the example, but for instance, monks, Catholic monks or Christian monks, right? Why do they separate themselves and go into a monastery? Uh, so the idea that they have is, and it's a true idea, is that in a monastery, you're completely disconnected from the entire world. You see? The problem is they take it to the extreme. But the concept is true, that the more you are disconnected from the physical world, the greater is your access and therefore your attachment to the spiritual aspect of yourself. Their problem is that they take it to an extreme because God doesn't want monasteries. He's not interested in monks. He wants the mitzvot, if you remember, force you to interact with the world. The mitzvot are very physical, you see. What God wants is you to interact with the physical world, but to channel it to Him. For instance, of course you have to eat, right? But what He wants you to do is let's say, before you eat, to make a bracha, you see? So what you're doing is engaging the physical world. At the same time, you are giving him his due. So that spiritualizes the physical act. That's what God wants. He does not want a monastery, you see, where all of a sudden you detach from the entire world. On the contrary. Uh, but the, the concept of diminishing physicality is a true concept to access greater spiritual heights. That's why you will find sadikim, I mean, really great sadikim, you know, uh, people who are tremendous, you know, let's say the Babasali, for instance. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> the Babasali was, what, uh, one of the, what he was incredible is, is what's called prishut, separation. I remember I once read there was a story where somebody, you know, his wife cooked him or whatever, and he was eating it, and then all of a sudden he puts the spoon down and he pushes it away. And he left more than half unfinished. So the Gabbai asked him, what's the problem? Is it because it's not good? So the Baba Sali said something which defines his essential avodah. He said, no, on the contrary, it tastes too good.
And because it tastes delicious, I was letting myself go and getting involved in the taste. And I was enjoying it for my sake, not for God's sake. When I realized I was doing that, that, I, you know, it's delicious and I'm enjoying it and I'm doing it for my sake, you know, because I want to eat this. Not because God wants me to eat this because I should be healthy. So as I was realizing this and I was getting my ego involved, that's why he pushed it away. So what do you see from this? That he was an incredibly porous, prishut, separation, detachment, you see? Okay, that's the Baba Sali, you know? Most of us can't do that, you know, because you have to go to work, take care of kids, and so on and so forth. But the concept of minimizing in order to detach from the physical world is a true concept. In fact, that's exactly what we do on Yom Kippur. We detach. You cannot eat. You can't drink. You can't wear shoes, right? You can't take a bath, and so on. You cannot engage clearly in physical pleasures. Because to the extent that you remove them, to that extent you allow spirituality, ruch niyut, <clears throat> more into your consciousness. And that's what Yom Kippur is. God wants you to focus on Yom Kippur completely about Him and getting close to Him. And that's the true tshuva. You see, you see how it works? Rabbi, I have a question. So, yes. In Shamaim on Yom Kippur, basically Hashem says to the uh, Satan, you're off today, you don't have to work. Fine. Now, what is going on in Shamayim? No, you do have to work, except one job is off. Right, he's but the other two jobs are still on. That's right. And the Yitzhara. Right. So, um, <clears throat> what is going on, like, okay, how does, like, okay, the Sefiro align, and then what? Like, what is to happen on Yom Kippur that's different? Up what, yeah, what's going on up there? When, on Yom Kippur? Yeah. yeah. Well, remember, if the Svirah that embraces all the other Svirah, because they're all inclusive in Keter, is Keser. So therefore, Yom Kippur, when you engage in thinking about God, in many ways you are bringing down the incredible light and energy of Keter, you see. And that is a tremendous aliyah in Ruchniot. It's a very important concept to bring down the energy, not of the lower spheroids, spherot, but to bring down the energy of the highest, which is Keter. Because Keter includes all the other nine within it. So Yom Kippur allows you to access, you see, that Svira itself. And Keter has many, many different attributes. One of them is that it's incredible Rachmanut that God overlooks using that Svira, everything. But we can access that on Yom Kippur. That is one of the reasons why Yom Kippur is so great. Because it accesses the greatest of all the Svirot and we can bring down of, of, of its energy, its light, 
and 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 therefore we are tremendously spiritually elevated on that day we feel different unfortunately it doesn't last that long but for that time period on Yom Kippur you know when you daven and you think about you know doing tshuva and God and so on I think everybody's elevated especially as you get closer to the Elah you see okay um, and and so when Hashem finally like uh, seals the deal on the year like he closes the books is there anything like what Ne'ilah, let's say that's the the last one. So what what should we what should be on our mind? A and B. What is like? How does he close it? Like how does it end? To start new. You know what I mean? Like well, he, wait. The ending is when he signs the document, but he doesn't seal it until Hashanah Rabbah. But that's when he ends it. In other words, the time is over, and then whatever tshuva you've done. He takes that into account, everything you've done, you see. But he takes many things into account. It's not only your tshuva. It's also how it affects any punishment that he gives a person. How will it affect the husband, the kids, the community? We, we, we cannot even begin to understand the infinite cheshbon that goes into the judgment. God just doesn't take somebody because if somebody in his family doesn't deserve to be where the person is gone, then God doesn't do it. We can never make such a cheshbon, you see? And not only that, if this person is destined to do something great, God will not take him. He will keep him alive in order for him to do something great. If a person is needed by the community, then even if he doesn't do tshuva, because of the sake of the community, God will keep him alive. There are so many different cheshbonot. You see, that's why I always say, one of the best things you can do for yourself, right, is to do something for the community. To make yourself needed by other people. Because then, that's part of the cheshbon. Wait a minute, God says. He is needed by, let's say, 20 different women. She's needed, right, by 20 women, so I'm not going to take her, because in the merit of what she's doing for those 20 people, right, and that they deserve to have this person that I'm judging, continuing the chesed, I won't take this person. We cannot make those cheshbonis. They're infinite, you see? But it finally ends when God signs, and he signs the book, and that's it. Until Hoshana Rabbah, when he still looks out for what a person is doing, and therefore then that's what he does, is that he uh, affixes the seal, you see, and that's basically the end of the judgment. That's why Hoshana Rabbah is considered a day of judgment, you see. Uh, so this is the process. So what is that process? Uh, how does that work with Mashiach now? Like, okay, so let's say... Well, the, pro- the, the question is, have the Jewish people done the tikkun? It is called the tikkun haklali, the general or the total rectification of creation. Have they done it? That is the question. And if they have, then that's it. Then all of a sudden, the sfirot are activated, 
Mashiach is released and he begins to grow, at the same time, world events will happen. That will be absolutely unbelievable. You Do see? we have to wait for the Sefirah to align? Does it have to be sealed on Hashanah? Or if it's... Ha- oh, wait, I, didn't, I didn't hear you. What? Does that have to be what? If the Sefirot are activated, does that have to be when it's sealed on, on Hoshana Rabbah? Or could Yom Kippur be enough for it to start the bowl, like to start it going? Uh, Yom Kippur can be enough, yeah. Remember, that because the, the, the Hoshana Rabbah is like a waiting game, waiting for everybody to get, to be, come in. But there are people who are, are signed off for an incredible year before Hoshana Rabbah. You see? Right. In fact, hopefully Tufshin Pei Aleph is a year where God... Look, you do know when God judges the world, you know what he does? He judges the world, which we cannot in any way comprehend. He judges the world, each individual thing, simultaneously. It's not like he does something, you know, like a computer can do a billion computations in a second. No. God doesn't do that. God does everything instantly, simultaneously. Now, we cannot even begin to understand what that is. That means the judgment takes a second, but it's not even a second. The judgment takes an instant of time of everything, the whole creation, simultaneously at the same time. Imagine what kind of judgment that is, huh? So if the Jewish people deserved, then what God will do is now begin to unfold what he judged. So if the judgment is that the tikkun is complete, then God will bring the Mashiach, and he will now move world events that will actually do it. And we are actually looking at these things. These are world events. Simultaneously together... It's also that he's looking at all of us as a whole because the tikkun process is all of us as a whole. Yes. He's, so like I see, the, tik, the tikkun akloli is the whole job so by everybody. The whole and, the, and the, 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 the personal at the same time. Exactly. It's all simultaneous. Could you believe what kind of a cheshbon kind of that is? It's, it's infinite. To judge everything in creation, not just this world. You know, where the galaxy is, which star is going to blow up that year. I'm talking about everything. You see? Wow. And he does it, all of it, in an instant, and it's all simultaneous. Go figure that out, huh? Crazy. It's but incredible. The internet that you were talking about is being used for Torah. Oh, now, that, now that what? Now the internet that was supposed to be a distraction, keep us in the dark, is now showing us the light with all the Torah that we're learning on it. Exactly. In fact, that is the reason for the internet. And by the I way, want... the, the Apple on the smartphone is the Apple that take, took a bite, like the Nachash, who's really the Satan. Look at the emblem of the phone. is an Apple. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> that's a nice thought. <laughs> no. Yeah, because there are people that say it was an apple. Yeah. And it's bitten from. What was that? It's, 
It's a bit apple. It's 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 like somebody took a bite from it. It's not a whole yeah. apple. It's, yes, that's it's true. A, yeah. Baton and his logo. That's right. Yeah. No, so listen, you know. Why have created him? I don't understand. <laughs> the what? Why did Hashem make this satan? It's really annoying. Because without the satan, there's no option. So maybe it's you remember. We you remember Hashem? Russia? Yeah. You remember Russia? They had elections. The problem was there was only one guy running. <laughs> right? There has to be an option. You know, even if you have free will, you've got to have a choice. If you only have one direction, what choice do you have? That's why this is Satan. The Satan offers you a choice. That's why there's a Satan. You see, the problem with the Satan, the choice, is that's the wrong direction. But there has to be a choice. Now, we were saying how the Internet now is, is being used for Torah. Yes, that's the whole reason why God introduced it to the world. It's called global connectivity. We'll so the end. whole world can be united under one communications device. And therefore, someday, that device will be used by the Mashiach to educate all mankind that's before Mashiach bin David. The internet is a device specifically for the Mashiach bin Yosef. Because at the beginning, as he grows, as he grows, he will be using this device to, to spread the, the, the Torah, Hashkafah, Kabbalah, and so on. <clears throat> Mashiach bin David already is a different type of device. It's already prophecy. But with Ben Ben Yosef in the beginning, that device called the internet is to allow him to reach the entire planet. And that's also why you have what's called a connect a connectivity where you don't even have to be plugged in. That's why you have satellites. So everybody in the world can be plugged into the internet even if you're not you don't have electricity running. You when see. he comes, we're all going to know simultaneously at the same minute that he's here. Breaking well, 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 it, process. You know, he will himself has to grow, which I've mentioned. And eventually it will begin to dawn on people slowly that this man is unusual. There's something about this guy. And he so grows more and more. What was that? Starting, it's going to go quick. Yes. So why will the Yerlago quick, but he's going to learn slow? I, I, I didn't understand that. Say it again. Okay, didn't you say when the Yerlago starts, it's going to go? Very it's going to be quick. But, but if no, no, it, well, no, no, it's, uh, when the Yerlago starts, it is unstoppable okay. and it's irreversible. Correct. However, it will go slow. What does that mean? Make up your mind. What was that? It's irre- irreversible and unstoppable. But that doesn't mean it's going to go. So quicker. how long we're talking about? You said less than a year if he comes. Now. Well, ask ask yourself how long did Yitzhak Mitzrayim happen? It took a year. a year. Okay, was that fast or slow? That was fast enough. That to do all those plagues. Yeah, but the other people would say, "Boy, was that slow." <laughs> okay, one year. I right. Have... Depends on who you ask. You know, look, Moshe Rabbeinu came, he was the Mashiach. Well, he almost was anyway. 
and it still took a year. <clears throat> you know, which I mentioned. He had Midian, he was growing. Yes, well, he was really in the clipper for all those years. That's part of the Yisur and the Mashiach when you say. Every way, we had a hard time in the beginning. Of course, he had a very difficult time. You know. <clears throat> but, uh, look, that's, yes? Uh, last week, we, when we, we talked about Rosh Hashanah, we discussed all the things that happened on Rosh Hashanah. Um, I also learned that it was also Sarai Meno's Yortai, and also Rachel was answered. Do we have That's any right. knowledge of uh, what happened on Yom Kippur? Well, the main thing on Yom Kippur is that Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the third time after the Chet Egel, And on that day, God forgave the Jewish people. That's so that's when he he came down for the third time with the with with the Torah. He came down with the Luchot the second tablets. Mm-hmm. He went up three times, and then he came down finally at the end um, for Yom Kippur, and that and that's why. By the way, that's why we have Yom Kippur mm-hmm. as a day of Kapara, because that's when God forgave the Jewish people in the desert. That's the origin, really, of Yom Kippur. That and in the desert... Rosh Hash- what was that? I said, on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem forgave Adam. And that's why we say Tashlich on that day. Yes. So, so Adam day- was forgiven on Rosh Hashanah, and on Yom Kippur, we were forgiven for Heta Egel. Correct. Each of these things have a, uh, a origin. By the way, next week, Monday, is Yom Kippur. So can we do the Shia Tuesday night? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So next week, for obvious reasons, because Monday night is the uh, Sof Yom Kippur. Nobody's going to be available. So Tuesday night, next week, uh, I would like to give a Shia about Sukkot. Good. Is that Hashem? Looking forward, Rabbi. Rabbi, Okay. Ah, Hashem should put you in all the good books and bless you, you should continue to bless you with knowledge so you could spread Torah and love of Torah to the people. That's your Amen. Point. Thank you, you know. Amen. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can, it would be great if you shared some of this material with your husbands. Yes, of course. Whatever, you know, because, uh, you know, it's important to hear it, especially during these days. You know? Yeah, I, 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 I spoke about your class on the, on the table when we were eating. Oh, yeah? They probably wonder who I am. <laughs> I told I was telling, I was talking about everything that you taught us from my book, Dan, and I told everyone. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds interesting, you know. <clears throat> That's great, you, you know. You taught us a lot these past few months. Thank, Thank you. you. Ra- oh, Rabbi, yeah. can I... Can I add something? So you were saying before about the Satan's job is to keep us on the Internet. My daughter was just showing me a whole video recently that they have an algorithm to see what you stop and, and how long you pause so they know what you're interested in. And they study that algorithm and they sell what makes your brain tick visually uh, to consumers and they put that and they sell the people um, what you're interested in. 
So if they see I I looked at something for more than I scroll through usual, they'll have an algorithm for it and watch what I stop at. So they, their job is to keep you on as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah. That's called data analysis, I think. Yeah, they do that. Yes. So I yeah. guess that's exactly how you draw you, you describe the job of the satan. He goes to to keep once they once you plug in to keep you there and keep your mind occupied as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, look the satan's got everybody constantly on the internet. The truth is, uh, if not for the fact that the internet will be used ultimately for the Mashiach to disseminate the Torah. Hashkafa and so on, you know, it's probably the greatest damaging instrument uh, because it's unbelievable what it does to a person's mind and his time, you know. Rabbi, Satan is the guardian angel of Esau, correct? So correct. Long, when is his downfall coming? By Mashiach ben David. Oh, long time. No, not necessarily. But when Mashiach ben David comes... The first thing that he does is he destroys the Satan. Yeah, but the, you have to remember when he does that, there's no more free will. I'm clear with this free will. Let everybody do Teshuvah and go pray all day. Okay. It'll happen. It'll happen. Don't worry. Okay. Anyway, so everybody should have a great Yom Kippur. I hope everybody forgives me if I affronted anybody. One question. Rabbi, when Mashiach comes, are people going to have more children or all the Nishamoda here already. No, nah, all the Nishamoda here. Okay. In fact, it says that in Gemara, it says, Aim ben David ba, Mashiach ben David doesn't come, and Achetichle, the Nishamot beguf. That's the place where all the Nishamot hang out until they are born. So all the Nishamot have to come down for obvious reason, because each Nishama is assigned a specific area of the Tikkun, Right? So if that neshama hasn't come down, that means the tikkun is not complete, right? That's why all the neshamot have to be born. Before David, not Yosef. Yes, that's right. 